Hey there, and welcome to the podcast for this Friday, November the 13th. Coming up, Eric Alper, our music expert, will talk about The weekend, who has been tapped to headline the Super Bowl halftime show. We'll also talk to Alex Kress. She's the co-creator and co-producer of 13 Hours, a brand new uh, podcast to listen up for and watch out for. And also, Bonnie Crombie, the mayor of Mississauga, talks about ongoing concerns and confusion over COVID restrictions. All of that coming up right now. Sorry, is I, I'm supposed to come on, right? I got into the song there. Yeah, you really did. I like that song. <laughs> I noticed. That's The weekend. I can't feel my face. And some pretty big news for Toronto's own The weekend. Announcing yesterday that he is, how about this, going to headline the Super Bowl this year, Super Bowl halftime show. Here's our music expert, Eric Alper. He joins us now here on Global News Radio. Eric, happy Friday. Happy Friday. And again, again, the Super Bowl people turn down the fabulous duo of Jeff and Eric, the soothing sounds of acoustic news. I don't, I don't know what it, I don't know what we need to do, Jeff. So they got the weekend instead, whatever. Uh, how many years can we be overlooked? I mean, this is really at this point beyond insult, isn't it? Does anybody really know who The weekend is? Do we even know his real name? No. Well, you know what, Eric? I'm glad that you brought that up because I was going to ask you about The weekend because, like, I feel like I know The weekend, Like, I know who he is, but I don't know who he is. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's exactly his plan. You know, um, look, in the beginning of his career, um, he performed a couple of shows at the Mod Club, and I think at the Rivoli, he hid behind smoke, and also um, a lot of fog and uh, curtains. And he wanted to have that mystery of, of who this performer is and who he really is. He's never in the gossip pages. He's never on the front page of TMZ for hanging out. In fact, you know, I think that the really we only know who he's dating is because he's kind of posting on stuff. But, you know, and I think that's why his music is... Um, uh, I think it reaches a certain demographic of people who never get tired of listening to him because his personality and the gossip stuff never overrides it and who he is. And he's developed, you know, this level of being authentic um, with the hipsters, with the kids, with the teenagers and with adults. So I think he's kind of crossed these divides that really other than Taylor Swift or maybe Beyonce, we really haven't seen. Yeah, authenticity, authentic, also mysterious, right? Very mysterious is the weekend. I mean, has he ever done an interview? He's done only a handful um, in the last number of years, and I think one or two of them were about the album After Hours that came out. Um, but yeah, for a guy that sold 75 million copies around the world and, and is right up there in terms of the biggest-selling Canadian artist of all time, um, I think a lot of people would be hard-pressed to even 
figure out who, you know, what his real name is, um, you know. And so, you know, when when Abel, which is his first name, um, tends to kind of walk along the streets, he's noticed. But, you know, um, I, I think that's one of the reasons why a song like I Can't Feel My Face or Blinding Lights, it just hits so well is because his videos are amazing. He doesn't need to rely on dancing or, or having very funny TikTok videos. I think he's just letting the music stand for itself, and it's a little bit refreshing. Yeah, and, but listen, you got to deliver when you do that, right? Because if the music is doing the talking, the music better be good. It better be real good, or nobody's going to be paying attention. Yeah, and a lot of people are paying attention. In fact, his latest single, Blinding Lights, hit number one in 34 countries, including, of course, in the U.S. and Canada, where it's his fifth number one song on the Billboard Hot 100. It also is the most weeks inside the Billboard Top 5 in music history, and it's been number one on the R&B charts in the U.S. for over 35 weeks straight, which is an all-time music record as well. So good choice on on the uh, Super Bowl team, which is now made up of Rock Nation. They're the production company and the producers behind it. Rock Nation is Jay-Z's company. So he must have had a really big hand in trying to figure out who they want to perform for the Super Bowl. And I, I honestly, I don't even think that they need anybody else. I think that the weekend is going to be putting on just a phenomenal show right around the world for viewers. Yeah, we always talk about that Super Bowl bump that whoever performs at the Super Bowl halftime show, all of a sudden, you know, they go way mainstream. So many people start streaming their music, uh, buying uh, their albums. But, you know, you just laid it down there a second ago, Eric. I mean, The weekend is ultra successful already. I mean, is this going to open any new doors, do you think? Or are there any more doors left to be open for The weekend? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the Order of Canada might be, might be in line. <laughs> Maybe even a sir. Uh, you know, if, if he becomes a UK thing. No, but it's funny, though, because, you know, you go through his history with the most weeks on the radio chart, on the radio song chart on Billboard, so far 26 weeks and counting, the most weeks at the number one spot on the adult pop songs, 20 weeks and counting, and then 47 weeks on the pop song chart. It seems that everybody in North America would know who he is, but then, you know, 75 million record sales, that's pretty nice, but then there's 340 people in North in North America that may not know or have streamed his song. So there's still a lot more to go. It's the superstars that think, well, I've sold 20 million copies in Canada. There's still 7 million people in this country that have never bought it, so I'm going to go after those people. Yeah, okay, so this still has the potential to launch him into the next stratosphere or even higher. And would you say musically the weekend is the heir apparent of Michael Jackson. I think everybody thought that it was going to be uh, Justin uh, Timberlake, but when I hear yeah. the weekend's music, man, do I hear a lot of MJ influence. Yeah, a lot of 80s influence and certainly, you know, a, a little bit of that 90s pop with Britney and Backstreet Boys and NSYNC in there as well because they're just solid pop songs that you don't have to be embarrassed to like and that's not even taken into consideration. But yeah, you know, I, I, think, I think Michael Jackson was just one of those icons. He's one of those once-in-a-lifetime entertainers that, that um, 
that we'll never, ever see again in terms of record sales and also just in terms of power and influence that he had to change fashion, to change the way that people dance. The weekend's not there, but I don't know if he even wants to be there. I think what he wants to do is create those brilliant pop songs that even the male person can hum to themselves. And that's when you know that you're on the right track. So, I, I you know, I, I think that if The weekend wanted to start signing away his credibility or, or signing away his advertising rights or his likeness rights, he could do that. He could before he could be in the next car commercial or the next soft drink commercial. I wouldn't be surprised, though, but because Pepsi happens to own the naming rights to the Super Bowl, that he actually might be appearing in one or two commercials leading up to it. But then again, I think The weekend's got enough power to say, nah, I don't feel like doing that. Yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, and what an honor not only for the weekend but uh, for Canada to see a Canadian artist headlining the Super Bowl. Uh, I was looking back; is it Shania Twain, the last Canadian I think to headline the Super Bowl halftime? Yeah, she did in two thousand and three, and Dan Aykroyd performed as part of the Blues Brothers back in nineteen ninety seven. Um, but yeah, they seem to be the the last two performers. Um, I mean, Nickelback had that big, um, you know, had that big run as well, where. You know, you and I talked about this earlier in the past year with the petitions for 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 Nickelback to not play at the halftime Super Bowl. Right. Um, but yeah, but you know, the weekend is now in the same breath as Lady Gaga and Michael Jackson, Prince, U2, Katy Perry, Beyonce, and Madonna. So you know, not too shabby indeed from from a guy from Toronto who you know seemingly six years ago nobody had ever heard of. Yeah, pretty good company and a meteoric rise to be sure. Eric, enjoy your weekend. Stay safe. No problem. Thanks so much for having me. We'll talk soon, Jeff. You got it. Be well. Eric Helper, our music expert. It's been nearly seven months since the shooting spree last April in Nova Scotia. The mass killing that will go down in history as one of this country's worst. 22 killed on that rampage that left so many people struggling to understand. And Global News reporter Sarah Ritchie, along with producer Alex Kress, have been working on a 13-part investigative podcast about what happened. It is called 13 Hours Inside the Nova Scotia Massacre. And Alex Kress joins us now for more on this here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Alex, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Uh, I want to start with the title of the pod, uh, 13 Hours. Uh, why call it that? Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's really just impossible to imagine that this rampage did take place over 13 hours. So starting on the evening of April 18th and then stretched into the morning hours of late morning hours of April 19th, 13 hours, this gunman um, terrorized the province, left unthinkable devastation with, uh, with the taking of 22 lives over 16 different crime scenes. It was just it was an incredible, um, horrific event that happened. And, you know, it it seemed at the time with being at the height of the pandemic and everybody was under so much stress, the news cycle was just, just unbelievable, as you remember. Um, so we decided to call it 13 hours because we wanted to tell it hour by hour and really get to the heart of how this happened. So we're taking you to the beginning um, on that evening of April 18th, and then we're going through it episodically. Each uh, episode represents an hour, and we're taking you right through to the end so that we can try to come out of this with an understanding of how something like this could could happen. And in, especially in such a quiet um, coastal community, I mean, it's just, 
it's really tough, I think, for for anybody to understand, let alone mm-hmm. um, Sarah, who is the host of this podcast, Sarah Ritchie, who's in Halifax. Um, I'm in Toronto. We, we are the co-creators on this and co-producers. And it, it's hard enough for us to understand. So if it's hard for us to understand, it must be it must be difficult for everybody. So that's what we're trying to do with this project. You know, it's amazing when you step back and think 13 hours. I mean, that's a little more, obviously, than half a day that this went on. And is that one of the questions you try to answer is uh, why this gunman was on the loose for that long? Exactly, Jeff. That's a big part of this project. I mean, I mean, the other big point for us is is really focusing on the victims and memorializing these 22 people who were lost and, you know, trying to remember them for for the lives they lived and and not how they died. So we're speaking to their families about that. And that's been great. But you're right. I mean, this is a very important piece. And I think when you talk to people now, I mean, we're hearing um, a lot of people starting to listen to this, which is which is lovely. And we're so glad that people are interested. But a lot of them are saying, you know, I don't remember these details. I didn't realize it went on for so long. I didn't realize that, you know, still after seven months, we still don't have answers to so many of the questions about why, for example, why wasn't there an emergency alert sent out? Why was it only that tweet, you know, at 1130 that night saying that there was a firearms complaint when at that point, 13 people in port pic had already been killed. You know, there are a lot of those kinds of questions, and that's what we what we dig into. Um, we, of course, understand that the police and the first responders who walked into the the scene that night, what they saw, some of them have said it was like something out of a horror movie. It was terrible. And, and of course, that, that would be the case. But also trying to get answers from the RCMP over these last seven months has been very challenging, very difficult. Yeah, um, I wanted to ask you, and I'm sorry answers. to interrupt, but I wanted to ask you specifically about that, Alex, and just how tough mm-hmm. that has been, because there are, you're, you're right, to this day, so many questions about how the police handled this and things such as, as you mentioned, the alert. Why didn't it uh, go out? A lot of questions surrounding the RCMP and how they handled this. Uh, How hard was it or has it been trying to get answers that people so desperately want? It's been very difficult. Even as recently as earlier this week, um, my colleagues, Sarah, who I mentioned, Sarah Ritchie and Brian Hill, who's an, an investigative reporter for Global News, we broke a story earlier this week about kind of an unexpected revelation um, about the timeline of events from that night. So the official timeline has always been that the gunman left the area at 1035. So at the end of October, Sarah had sent an email to the RCMP clarifying certain points for the first two episodes of 13 Hours. And she got a response with 1045 that he had left. That's a full 10 minutes difference. So we clarified. And it turns out that in fact, that timeline did quietly change. Nobody was notified in the media. So we thought to ourselves, well, if we didn't know about this, do the families know? And this story that we did earlier this week is about how we contacted, you know, a few of the families. And in fact, they're, they're lawyers and they didn't know about this 10 minutes. And what that means is that the gunman was on the scene 10 minutes longer than originally, you know, was stated by the RCMP. And that means that the RCMP, uh, they, they arrived at 1026. So it means that the gunman was on the scene for just about 20 minutes while they were there as well. So it does raise questions about, you know, about how, how long he was there, how he got away. And also it, 
you know, the, these families aren't getting the information that they need. And they told us earlier this week, you know, we're really upset that we have to keep hearing it from you, from the media. Why aren't we the first to know? So that's well, something we're hearing a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's what journalism is, giving voice to the voiceless. And these are important questions. And as you well know, the news cycle moves so fast these days that things mm. unfortunately get lost or left behind. So, you know, thank goodness for podcasts such as this and the work that you and your fellow uh, journalists have uh, done on this. And uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us here this afternoon. Really appreciate your time, Alex. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeff. And you can find this, you can find 13 Hours um, anywhere you get podcasts. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, for free, anywhere you listen. Thank you so much. You bet. Thank you. That's uh, Alex Cress, along uh, with her uh, colleague, uh, Sarah Ritchie from uh, Global News. As you just heard, the podcast is 13 Hours Inside the Nova Scotia Massacre. Find it where you find your favorite uh, podcast. As a matter of fact, it uh, debuted this week at uh, number one on Apple Podcast Canada. Okay, just under 1,400 COVID cases in the province today. That is down a bit from yesterday's record number, but the trending obviously still concerning. Earlier this week, of course, uh, Peel, they were lifted from modified stage two, but decided to implement their own local restrictions. Bonnie Crombie is the mayor of Mississauga, and she joins us now here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Mayor, Thanks good afternoon. Thanks. Hello, Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on. Yes. Very unfortunate today. We're tied with Toronto in Peel once again. It's a pretty dire situation, I would say. Yeah. What is the situation there in Mississauga heading into this uh, weekend? So let me explain. We are 121 daily cases in Mississauga over the last week. That's the average, 121. Um, when we look at Brampton, it's there 270, and Peel Region, 408. Those are the average daily cases over the last week. When we look at things at a per 100,000 ba- uh, number, case number, uh, Peel is 100, almost 120 cases per 100,000. When you compare that to Toronto, that's 88, there are 88 cases per 100,000. We're a little lower in Mississauga, a little higher in Brampton. The positivity rates are also very high. And Peel's got about a 10% positivity rate. Now, we know the transmission is also a little different in each region, certainly in the region of Peel. Our transmission is still largely community spread, household spread, and a little bit of workplace. Yes, while restaurants and gyms uh, account for about three percent each they're not the the main source of the threat of the transmission in our region whereas in toronto you see that to restaurants gyms bars etc contribute for a, a much larger share of their spread of the virus yeah now mayor obviously the numbers are uh, concerning but there's also a lot of confusion it seems particularly after you were lifted at a modified stage two and then went in we had this color-coded framework you went into the uh, red zone Uh, Can you understand or or get why a lot of people are confused right now about uh, where their region is and what is allowed and not allowed? You are correct. There has been a lot of mixed messaging. It's because the situation evolved and turned quickly. I mean, 10 days ago, I thought we were moving into the orange zone, uh, that we had a workplace outbreak that accounted for uh, a large number of new cases. As a result, we moved into the red zone. And that weekend, it became apparent that Dr. Lowe, uh, as a result of restaurants and gyms remaining open, felt very strongly there needed to be a counterbalance 
with further measures placed on small and large gatherings. So we felt very strongly we needed to do that because that those were the source of our transmission. So there has been a lot of uh, mixed messaging. I hope it's very clear today. Last night, I'll share with you, I had a Teletown Hall. There were almost 15,000 residents, either online or on the call, asking their questions. We entertained them for over 90 minutes and answered their questions along with Dr. Lowe and representatives from our hospitals. Michelle Emanuel, the CEO of Trillium Health Partners. We were all answering their questions to provide some clarity. I think clarity is needed in the public sector. But the message remains the same. The best way to curb the spread of this virus is to limit your contacts. And we're recommending, Dr. Lowe is recommending, that you don't interact with anybody other than in your immediate household. If you can work from home, stay home. Just like when we were in lockdown in the springtime, limit your activities to those that are essential, going out for groceries, for gas, to do your banking, to get your medicines at the pharmacy, but as little as possible. And not to interact with different households. Limit your interaction to your own immediate household and your essential supports. Here with Mayor Bonnie Crombie. Uh, Mayor, we've heard from the uh, Premier over the last uh, week or two that he favours a more surgical approach. Those were uh, his words and that he was not in favour of a lockdown or shutting down business. Uh, His daily press conference has been delayed till uh, 2.30 now this afternoon and he's been behind closed doors all day long with his uh, health team. Uh, What is it that you're hoping to hear from the uh, Premier? Do you think that further measures are needed, particularly in light of the modelling that came out yesterday that suggested we could see daily case counts of 6,500 in this province by the middle of next month? I think we're at a crisis point right now, especially those numbers were very alarming. I will tell you, I do agree with the surgical approach the Premier is taking because there's not a one-size-fits-all across the province. And that's very clear. There are 28 different health units and not all of them, the circumstances, are in the red zone as we are in the GTA. So that's why you can't take a one-size-fits-all approach. So the framework was very loose. It was a baseline, a guideline of when to move in and out of the different Um, zones, shall we call them, Uh, green, yellow, orange, red. And then it gives the flexibility for the public health officials to really tailor, tailor the measures to our own specific circumstances, you know, to address the source of the spread in our own regions, as you have seen that that's what Dr. Lowe has done. And that's what uh, Eileen Villa in Toronto has done as well. They closed the restaurants entirely. They were a very large source of the spread there. They closed the gyms. We've allowed them to be open, but only a very small degree, capacity of 10 only. However, we do have the counterbalancing measures on the other side, asking for all celebrations, weddings, wedding receptions to be postponed until January 2020. We're asking for no social social events, um, uh, such as birthdays, uh, anniversaries, uh, retirement parties, etc. Those should be postponed until further notice as well. Now, uh, we do understand the Premier is consulting with his advisor team. There has been speculation about a wider lockdown. I won't speak for the Premier. Uh, that would only make sense if it were on a GT-wide basis. I asked uh, our public officer of health what the criteria was, what the indices would need to be to move into a lockdown. And he said, we're approaching that now, Mayor Crombie. So we'll we'll wait to hear from the Premier on what the guidance has been from his medical advisors. But it wouldn't surprise me if we don't get this addressed and we don't get this turned around now. Certainly you could see that we would be heading towards 6,000 cases per day in a very short period of time.
All right, we're awaiting the Premier's remarks in a little over half an hour from now. Mayor Crombie, appreciate your time with us this afternoon. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Take care. You as well. Mayor Bonnie Crombie, Mayor of Mississauga. And just a reminder that you can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 1 till 3 Eastern. Just tune in at 640toronto.com. Also, find us on Spotify, search my name, Jeff MacArthur, or download us wherever you find your favorite podcasts.